Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Welcome to The Politics Guys, the show where we go deeper into the week's political stories and offer a range of ideological voices not found anywhere else. I'm Trey Orndorff, and on The Politics This Week, I am joined by Jay. Welcome, Jay. It's good to have our first podcast together. Yeah, this is going to be fun, and uh, what what a week uh, to have our first, uh, first podcast together. We should mention Mike uh, is on a uh, well-deserved vacation. Uh, and also, we are recording this on Saturday afternoon as opposed to we usually do it Sunday morning. Uh, so that's just if, if something uh, monumental happens uh, late Saturday afternoon or Saturday night and we don't talk about it, it's not because we ignored it. It's because we were we were ahead of the game this time. And, and we thought there were uh, enough things that already happened this week <laughs> that we we didn't need to wait for any more. Um, yeah, just a few. <laughs> so so with that, I mean, I, I think uh, the the biggest uh uh, piece obviously is we had a lot of voting going on, uh, Trey. And uh, if you want to, you want to do the lead off on on that, talking about who, what what was voted on and and who voted. Yeah, so we, I mean, the Republicans have been trying for a while now uh, to push back on the Affordable Health Care Act, right? I mean, that's, that's been, been their main plan. Yeah. And so this week we've kind of have everything coming to a head in the Senate and it culminates late on Thursday night as we move into Friday morning when uh, McCain and two other Republican senators uh, from Alaska and from Maine are going to join Democrats and kill what's called the so-called skinny health care bill. The skinny bill is more or less a straight repeal of the Affordable Health Care Act, more or less. Uh, and this is a result of having a number of other bills that were getting shot down either from the right side of the party who didn't think that the bills were going far enough or were keeping too much of the Affordable Health Care Act in place, uh, and then getting shot down from left, more left-leaning members of the Senate and the Republican side. Um, and so McConnell thought that this was going to be the bill to pull things together. Um, but instead, McCain is going to kind of come in after he was vilified and uh, and voted down. And so what's really interesting is McCain is going to argue uh, that they have to do what Democrats didn't do when they passed the Affordable Health Care Act. That is That's regular bipartisanship. order. Yeah. Regular order, the normal committee process. Yeah. Um, so McCain, he began as the villain of the left. Uh, a few days ago when he voted to uh, allow debate on the bill to move forward, uh, and now he's become the hero of the left. And so here we are with some really interesting questions, Jay. Um, and so what do you think about what's happening? Well, you with, know, I think you know, it is fascinating. First of all, um, you know, there's there's the strategic uh, idea of do you have to take a vote in the first place? And, you know, typically, I don't know if the, the, the public realizes this, but uh, – I'm sure that most of the you know, most of the time uh, a piece of legislation is not brought to a vote unless the votes are there. Uh, it's it's exceedingly rare where you have something uh, where you don't have the votes or you know it will fail. And sometimes the exceptions are you, you put something out there that, you know, you don't have the votes because you want everybody on the record. Uh, so at least those those Republicans who ran on repeal and replace uh, can go back to their districts and at least sort of have the fig leaf to say, hey, uh, I did my best. I voted the way uh, I uh, uh, you wanted me to. Um, uh, so, you know, they, they fend off a, a primary challenge. Uh, probably it's not a guarantee. Like I said, it's sort of a fig leaf. Uh, and at the same time, um, other folks are are forced to, uh, uh, namely Democrats, are forced to uh, put the money where their mouth is and, and have a no vote to the to the extent when um, 
uh, Obamacare problems continue, uh, they'll be they'll be on the hook for them again. I, theoretically, now that's that's the plan, and uh, I think McConnell took sort of a calculated risk in in bringing this to a vote. I, I think it was still the right call. I mean, I don't know what what do you think, Trey, as far as being strategically the right call of, of having these votes. Well, you're absolutely right. It, it's weird to have a vote where something happens, if you will. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things that my students are continually disappointed in, right? Because they're always kind of waiting for that showdown right, moment. Right, usually well, you, have, you think there's votes and people, yeah, it, but but no, it usually doesn't happen like that. It's, it's all kind of kabuki theater and it's all pre-planned, but. Right, because you know, as you as you noted, you don't want to bring things that are going to fail unless you are doing it for some kind of political reason, some kind of uh, staking your name out there. I think one of the interesting things here, though, is I think there was a little bit of surprise. Um, I don't think everyone thought that uh, McCain was going to come and shoot this down, especially given the responses from 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 the right. Uh, I don't know about you, Jay, but I think that this was a little bit more of a surprise. I mean, I'm, I, I know they would have taken this vote even if you know they knew it couldn't pass because they need to take this back and put everybody's name on the record. But I really think that the skinny bill was the bill that McConnell thought that he could finagle through. And that's what he's good at. I mean, he's right. always been. And the, the skinny bill would have been sort of another fig leaf for a lot of Senate Republicans to to say, hey, at least, at least we did something. Uh, and I should point out what the, the skinny bill ent- entailed really just focused on that uh, eliminating the exchange portion of, of Obamacare, eliminating the uh, the mandate, um, uh, the individual mandate. It would not have had the, the, big, the, yeah, the sweeping medical yeah, Medi- Medicaid rollback, uh, which was really to most conservatives the, the bigger prize in, in this whole thing. Um, so, so yeah, it really had, had kind of the excitement of kind of like a, a broken play in football, you know, or like a fumble and just kind of the balls every, every flea flicker and uh, who knows what's going to happen. Um, so it, it was it was some some sort of high drama that we uh, we don't see. Uh, but before we we talk about uh, the extra drama, uh, let me say something that after all this week's drama, uh, what I think everyone needs is is a good night's sleep. Uh, and that's where we're happy to uh, uh, give a shout out to our sponsor, uh, Brooklyn. And, um, you know, you spend about a third of your life uh, in bed and uh, you often don't think of the, the quality of, of that that environment uh, that you're, uh, you're you spend so much time in. And uh, buying great sheets is a really a great way to to give yourself sort of an upgrade. And, and it's really it's one of these things that's sort of a, a grown up kind of thing to do. Um, you know what I mean? You don't think about that usually. But but uh, uh, now that uh, it's sort of a you you've made it, uh, you start thinking about those kind of things. Um, and, and Brooklinen is a, a great product because it gives you the quality luxury sheets uh, and bedding. But it's really accessible to to everyone, uh, even if you haven't quite made it yet. Uh, I know we have a lot of younger listeners. And uh, again, this is a, a great way to um, uh, to to upgrade uh, your uh, your life. Um, I got Brooklyn and Sheets uh, and uh, I love them. Um, that uh, was founded in April uh, 20, 000, uh, 2004 by a husband and wife team, Vicky and Rich Fullup, on the philosophy that people deserve simple, beautiful home essentials without the luxury price. And that's exactly what you get. Uh, as you might imagine, I'm sort of a traditionalist. Uh, I have the sort of uh, uh, traditional uh, uh, high thread uh, cotton sheets, uh, but they're great, super comfortable. Also got a great uh, comforter cover. Um, Again, that's that's uh, very classic and and really really beautiful. So my my wife loves them. I love them. Um, uh, 
this is luxury bedding uh, at uh, uh, non-luxury prices, and you really have to try these sheets today. So, uh, Troy, or, or Trey, I know you don't have them yet, but uh, but you will, because uh, I absolutely love my Brooklyn sheets. Uh, try these sheets, and I know you'll love them too. Uh, and Brooklyn also has an exclusive offer for Politics Guys listeners. Uh, you get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code TPG at brooklinen.com. So, in fact, Brooklyn is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. So there's no reason not to give these sheets a try. Uh, the only way to get the $20 off and free shipping is to use the promo code TPG at brooklinen.com. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code TPG. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. Oh. But back, well, you, I, back to yeah, back, yeah, to, our back discussion. to the story where, where they're not getting enough good sh- uh, sleep on any kind of sheets. Yes, yes. <laughs> Republicans in the Senate, um, because we, we were mentioning uh, that there's this problem is, is that McCain wanted things to go through the normal process. And he was worried specifically that the House was going to take up the skinny bill specifically. And so one of the things that might be worth for our listeners to kind of have a feel on is there's two different ways that a bill can make it through Congress, right? So one way, which used to be um, the more normal way, is is that bills would move to what's called a conference committee. And that's a committee composed of members from both chambers, and they kind of iron out the differences uh, on a bill, and they can actually get some vastly different things. And that's what McConnell – uh, kind of thought might happen. That's what McCain demanded had to happen. Uh, and as a matter of fact, what the House was signaling they would do, uh, but the the Senate was worried about this. So, so what do you think about this is, in terms of this kind of process? And what does it mean, you know, as Republicans are moving forward on the agenda? Because for me, what I see is this is kind of the implosion of the ability to get anything done this year. Yeah, I I have to say I'm I'm very disappointed in uh in how it turned out and I and I I don't know, I mean, how much you can ascribe to this. I mean, McCain made a, a great speech about bipartisanship and regular order and and reviewing uh, the bills and going through committees and all that sort of thing. Um but you know, it, it strikes me as is a little a little disingenuous. Uh he he had a uh, tough uh, for him, at least, uh, election campaign. Uh, there was a time when people thought he was going to actually be in trouble, um, and he campaigned very vigorously on "I'm the guy who, in his own campaign words, uh, was leading the charge to uh, uh, repeal Obamacare." Um, and here he had the chance to do something about it, and and really chose not to. Uh, there are the theories: is this is this John McCain maybe being a prima donna? Uh, is this just a, a sharp stick in the eye to Donald Trump? Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I hope not. Um, but but I have to say, I mean, I, I, I much would have rather seen something happen, even the, the skinny bill uh, get done, uh, than not. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and, and Trey, we kind of come from uh, the same philosophical background uh, on a lot of these things. Um, so I, I said we, we would try to put in what, what, what Mike White might say, too. But uh, Well, and I mean, I think on my, you know, from that kind of point of view, I think if you're a Democrat, you're going to be happy to see this in the short term. But I think the longer term question is, is the ability to make meaningful change. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my thought, my, the big issue that if you're a Democrat, I think you are you're happy in the short term 
because this, listen, this is an embarrassment. The Republicans, they can't govern. Uh, their big campaign promise uh, is broken. Uh, a lot of these folks may face uh, in the Senate primary challenges, which means spending more money. Uh, it means a lot of times uh, having less enthusiasm uh, for Republican candidates uh in in what is a you know typically you know midterm election of a republican president typically the party in power loses seats all those things uh if you're a democrat you ought to be uh, happy about and, and and besides which the policy that they support uh remains the law of the land uh, but i think something to be less happy about if if you're a democrat uh, or a republican or really I, I shouldn't say anyone but what troubles me is this is a, a very much a loss for what would have been called the Republican establishment. Uh, and I think more people, uh, voters, are going to look at this and say, yeah, I can't trust the traditional Republicans uh, to do what I want to do. And I am going to just vote for these outsider uh, populist type candidates, um, you know, which is which is the wave that Trump uh, rode to the nomination. Uh, so I, I think to me that's a little troubling. Is is it may breed long term more Trumps? Yeah, and it's it's fascinating because in some ways you know it it's Trump who sets up this kind of showdown with the way that he's been attacking within his own. Well, I mean, and that's a fascinating question to try to decide. You know, is it within his own party? I mean, we'll, we'll say within his own party because that's what's behind his name. Yeah. But um, yeah, and, and that. I think you're absolutely right about that, Jay. Um, and I don't know where you go from here because, I mean, so so if even if we take kind of McCain's, you know, his his beautiful argument for bipartisanship, um, the problem becomes is is that well, this wasn't done bipartisanly in the first place, right? right? <laughs> so uh, if that's this new standard that you're going to have to always reach across the aisle to get votes, well, what has been done in you know? under the last two presidents that, that you could truly call bipartisan. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I, I could, uh, McCain Feingold, I would say would be one. Um, but, I, but I've got my own issues with that, uh, as, as have the courts. Um, you know, that, that springs to mind as the biggest, uh, well, I, I would say maybe the, uh, the, the stimulus, the, uh, the, the, the tariff or the TARP, I'm sorry, TARP funding, uh, was, okay. was bipartisan. Again, spurred on by that time, it was a, an immediate sort of crisis situation. Um, uh, were probably the, the biggest pieces of legislation that come to mind. Um, but, you know, you know the way I look at this in just sort of a, a game theory uh, standpoint, though, I, I don't see any advantage or reason why the Democrats uh, would want to do something bipartisan, uh, with the exception of, uh, you know, the Obamacare starts collapsing to the extent that they feel they, they really have to. Uh, and regardless, I don't think that's going to happen before the, the midterm elections. Um, in, in, in all honesty, I mean, I'm going to take a slightly even more left position on that. I don't think it's going to happen. I, the the collapse hope I think is a is a fantasy. Okay, interesting. Yeah, um, I, I, you know I, I, I think sort of chided just, Mike on that the, uh, a couple of weeks ago on that the um, Trump made the statement of well just let it collapse and there was wailing and moaning uh, of what about all the people and I said well well geez you, on the one hand people say it's not going to collapse and, and maybe maybe it won't and and I think what what might keep it from collapsing would be sort of uh, let's call it uh, maintenance sort of stuff of, of more subsidies and so forth to, to keep the uh, stabilize the markets uh, in, until there's a permanent solution that's that's found or not. 
I, I mean, again, and I, I, we can kind of then we can move from here. But I'll say that oftentimes, even policy that is not perfect, oftentimes does not devolve into the kind of immediate crisis collapse that I think the rhetoric from the right and the Trump administration is hoping for sure. to spur changes. There is sort of a muddling um, through that happens. Yeah, uh, and, and that's and that's most policy. I mean, and it's clear now. The other interesting thing here is the Senate's moving on to other matters, and I can see already what we're going to be talking about in future weeks, uh, because they're going to be uh, headed to the annual defense policy bill. But already we're seeing some uh, libertarian-leading senators like Rand Paul suggesting that they don't want to take this up yet. Yeah. Um, and so the story of the Senate is definitely not over, you know, as we move forward. Um, but I do want to kind of shift gears a little bit, uh, uh, Jay, uh, and talk a little bit about uh, Scaramucci, Anthony Scaramucci, um, the interview and some of the really fascinating things that are happening in the Trump White House. Uh, so in an interview published late Thursday afternoon, uh, Anthony Scaramucci had a profanity-filled set of quotes um, on the chief of staff and on Steve Bannon. And basically, he wanted a New York, uh, New Yorker's reporters, uh, Ryan Lisa's sources on a kind of a trivial leak. Um, but that didn't stop Scaramucci from unleashing on Ryan in uh, in the interview. Uh, he's going to go on to say, quote, I'm not Steve Bannon. I'm not trying to suck my own cock. I'm not trying to build my own brand off the fucking strength of the president. I'm here to serve the country. Um, he would then go on to say that he was going to push uh, Priebus out, the current chief of staff. And uh, as a matter of fact, we were kind of prepping for that for the show when later more happens um, in the aftermath. Uh, Scaramucci is actually going to tweet that he sometimes uses colorful language. I'll say so. <laughs> Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, we probably should have had a little uh, disclaimer there. You know, don't listen. Right, this, to this is typically a, typically a family show, and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I didn't know how else we're gonna you know cover this, but uh, yeah, he would reflect in a second tweet, and this is really interesting. And I'm curious what you think about this, Jay. That he quote made a mistake in trusting a reporter end quote and quote it won't happen again. <laughs> Um, and that really – I mean that's the new operating procedure of the White House, right? I mean anything happens and it's a news problem. Um, but the story still wasn't over because then on Friday, uh, Twitter just keeps bringing it, and we find out while President Donald Trump is sitting on the tarmac on board Air Force One that he is outsing Priebus as the chief of staff. Yep. Um, and bringing in the general. Um, and so what's fascinating about this is that uh, Priebus had actually tendered his resignation on Thursday, the same time Scaramucci was uh, vowing to force him out. And the New York Times, I think very rightfully, said that this is some pretty big instability. Matt Drudge is going to headline the moment as Priebus out, general in. Um, so, Jay, what do you think about this? I mean, I think this is this is some crazy amounts of instability. But what does this say about the White House? What does this say about kind of from your conservative point of view? Because I know that you've been, uh, I don't want to say an out defender, but you've been sympathetic to the White House. So what do you, I, you think know, about I've, I've been, I've been sympathetic. I've been sympathetic to uh, Trump, or I should say to, to some extent on, on policy things. Like if he, if he does the right thing or if it, the right policy is being advanced, I'm all for that. I, I have always had issues with uh, Trump, the, the personality. Uh, and and Trump the person, um, and and this is this is really what we're seeing. Um, 
this this guy uh, this is a train wreck uh and i i i think this is this is what so many republicans feared there was this always this hope that somewhere there's this you know the pivot to normalcy so they you know so we called it uh, that once he got in office, he would grow and he would he would act sort of more mature. And and then there was the second theme of, well, it's a it's a team of rivals like Lincoln put in, and he's going to have you know conflict, but he'll manage it, and and you get the better result then. Uh, but in this case, what you've got is just uh just a train wreck. Um, and and it's it's troubling. I don't know. It, it was Reince Priebus the right person to be uh, chief of staff? Probably not. Uh, and, and I say that because of just his, his background, his relative youth. Uh, but he was supposed to be uh, almost the establishment uh, anchor. He was the there. anchor, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, he was he was the one who was supposed to give give some calm to your more traditional Republicans who say, OK, it's not just uh, Trump and Bannon and, and these outsiders. Here's someone who who is familiar with uh, Washington, if not running the White House, because, again, I'd say running running a. a you know, being the chairman of a party is something completely different than the the management part that goes into being a chief of staff. Um, uh, and and uh, with Scaramucci's uh, arrival, uh, I, I think that has been thrown out the window. It is now an all Trump um, uh, operation. Yeah, and I mean, what's fascinating about this, and th- and this is one where I'm gonna I'll, I will uh, call it out. I have not been. Even during the primaries, I was in no way sympathetic or, th- or hoped or thought that, that Trump could make that pivot to normalcy, as you talk yeah. about. And I think part of the reason for that is recognizing and, – and I think we see it happening kind of again and again – the way these things come out, there is there is no sense of deliberation on anyone's part in the White House, right? I mean it right. is it is stream of consciousness. Uh, it is kind of this 128 characters at a time. You know, I'm, I can be sympathetic. As a matter of fact, I'm really surprised that Primus is even still saying that he's on Team Trump. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> have said I'm not, but I might have said something like, well, you know, my time at the White House was really phenomenal. Um, I was happy to be there. You know, good luck. <laughs> right. Um, oh, I think he's being a good soldier, and that's the appropriate response uh, uh, under the circumstances. But. Uh, I, again, I, I would question, I'm sure it's, uh, you know, whether how, how sincere that response is, or if he's just saying the right thing, um, which I point out again, that's, that's something that, again, your traditional, someone who's been in the system tends to say the right thing as opposed to, uh, uh, the, the Trump crowd, uh, which again, you have your, your director of communications launch into a profanity laced, uh, attack. And again, it, you know. I'm I'm, I'm riffing record. a little here, but a pretty laced attack, not not on Kim Jong Un, or, or not on <laughs> on the Democrats or or Chuck Schumer or someone like that, but on on your own team. I mean, that's the thing that's that's again just mind-boggling. So, well, and do you think this? I mean, it's interesting because Scaramucci, in some ways, seems that he might be maybe the the perfect um communication guy for Trump because he seems to kind of be living in that same kind of universe right right off the bat he says hey look i'm going to delete everything i've ever said before because i'm a trump guy now <laughs> um which led to a lot of interesting you know cuz once you just a heads up to you know i tell students this all the time just because you delete what you're putting on social media does not get rid of it right. um 
you know, that's just just the way it is. Uh, but, you know, this is going to be interesting, too. Uh, but before we kind of talk a little bit more about Scaramucci, we might want to mention uh, another one of our uh, sponsors, and that's uh, Casper. Yes. Um, uh, so uh, Casper, I, uh, Casper, as a matter of fact, Michael has a Casper ma- uh, mattress, does he not? He does. He does. I uh, I thought. But uh, yes, and he, he swears by it. Uh, Casper is a sleep brand that uh, has created uh, really the, the perfect mattress uh, sold directly to customers. Uh, and that eliminates the, uh, the the hassle and the commission-driven inflated prices. Uh, because, again, mattress shopping is it's, – it's really one of those things. It's just um, – it's not a comfortable thing to do. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it seems to take you know, longer than it needs to. It's, yeah. Have somebody watch you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, they, they uh, deliver an award-winning sleep service uh, developed in-house. It has a sleek design delivered in a small – how did they do that uh, size box – uh, in addition to the mattress, uh, Casper also uh, offers adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. Um, you know, the, the mattress industry has forced consumers into paying uh, really high markups, uh, and, and Casper's revolutionizing the way the industry does business by cutting the cost of dealing with uh, resellers and showrooms, uh, passing that savings directly to the consumer. Um, and again, as as Mike will tell you, uh, Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress, at a shockingly fair price. Uh, combines supportive memory foam to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Uh, if over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, and and that's not easy to do uh, in in this sort of social media world, it's quickly becoming. Uh, uh, the internet's favorite mattress uh, that's based on Casper, Amazon, and, and Google reviews. It's free shipping and returns uh, to anywhere in the U.S. and Canada. And better yet, uh, Casper has 100 nights uh, risk-free in your own home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. It's designed, developed, and assembled in the USA. So go to uh, Casper.com. Uh, politics guys again uh, casper.com with the code uh, politics guys uh, and uh, you can uh, get $50 off towards your mattress purchase uh, which is a great deal on what is already a a wonderfully priced product so uh, again uh, casper.com politics guys okay so anthony uh, we should we really should just call him like tony the mooch uh, scaramucci i mean that's so much (laughs) Because when in American history, how often do you get to, to have this? I mean, in the, you know, the White House communications director, Tony the Mooch Scaramucci. Um, <laughs> that is, to- is is completely true. Um, we need to start that. That needs to be the new hashtag. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's that's the that's the best thing that has ever come from this show yet. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's interesting. We kind of left off talking about, you know, he's deleting all of his tweets. He's kind of trying to restart. And like Trump, he seems like he has his own big set of baggage. I mean, already it looks like he and his wife have filed for divorce. Uh, and, and and usually those are things that you would have looked into if you had done a vetting. So it's fascinating that here he is. So what do you think about him? Well, obviously, I think we have a little bit of an idea, Jay. But what do you think about him and what do you think the signals for communication with the White House? Well, I, I think it will be very much the uh, authentic, unfiltered Trump message. Um, what's going to be interesting now is the, you know, what's going to happen between uh, Scaramucci and um, incoming White House Chief of Staff uh, General John Kelly. Uh, you know, the idea, you know, when Scaramucci came on, this is what, of course, fell into uh, Priebus's resignation slash firing, whatever you want to call it. 
was Scaramucci was going to report directly to the president rather than to the chief of staff, which is which is a really a novel sort of thing and and uh, rightfully uh, troubling if you're the chief of staff. Um, it, it's unclear how uh, John Kelly's going to handle that because uh, uh, I, I don't want to say that uh, Reince Priebus uh, is is less tough than John Kelly. Um, but he is. <laughs> I mean, uh, but, Kelly you know, is a marine, a marine general. Yeah, but that's an interesting question. I mean, why do you think, you know, John? Why do you think he wants this job? I mean, again, you know, you can be a good soldier, but there, there's no reason to take it. I mean, you can politely decline behind the scenes. Do sure. you really think that he can come in? And does you think he really thinks he can come in and do anything? Because as for me, if I'm thinking strategically about myself. Uh, the last place that I want to put me is in the middle of the Trump White House. I mean, it seems like a career ending move. Well, yes and no. Um, I mean, I can I, let's put it this way. I would say um, in the short term, again, Reince Priebus, it would appear that his stock has fallen uh, in the longer term. I, I think it, it may have risen. Um, so, I mean, I. <laughs> Uh, and, and maybe Kelly's making that that same calculation of, listen, I believe I can do this. Uh, and if he fails and it, it either resigns or is fired, no one's going to look at him and say, man, uh, everything was going great till John Kelly screwed it up. Uh, you know, they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll look at it as like, look, not even Kelly could fix this. Uh, and, and I think because, I, again, I don't think there's there's some illusion that. Um, you know that the problems that were happening at the White House, the the, this, the general discombobulation, the chaos, and all, uh, and the infighting, and all that kind of stuff, that that was somehow Priebus's fault. Um, you can say, look, maybe he wasn't tough enough to deal with it. Uh, maybe no one is, and that's I think what we'll find out. No, and I agree. I mean, I don't think that it's Priebus's fault in that sense, but if if you're if you're Kelly, I mean, one of the things I love to do is I like playing uh, old war board games. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when you do that, one of the things you're always thinking about is odds and you got to know when to roll it. And so for for me, when I look at this, I'm thinking, you know, why are you taking a, you know, this one to seven chance? Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's too good. That's the thing that kind of gives me pause about him, about what's happening here. But maybe you're right. So maybe the only thing that can happen is, is he, he, you know. He hits it, and it looks amazing. Worst case scenario, he just says, "Look, everything was already in disarray." Yeah. Well, and, and I, I don't want to discount uh, again, again, someone who who served, um, you know, nearly fifty years uh, in the, the military. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to discount just just patriotism. I mean, I, I think he could really look at this and say, "My my country needs me um, here," because regardless of, of what you think of Trump and policy, and I would would assume Kelly supports him uh, in most policy matters. Uh, there is a sense that, uh, again, the White House, the the institution of the presidency, uh, is sort of going off the rails, and I can see that there there would be sort of a, a patriotic call to duty of, look, maybe I'm one of the few guys who can fix this, uh, and and there's a, a patriotic urge to even if you fail, well, at least you can say I I gave it my best. Um, so I, I you know Kelly is is widely respected, and and I I think he'll. Um, he will he will get the attention of uh, the folks on on Capitol Hill, uh, folks in the the, uh, the bureaucracy. The big question is uh, how does is Trump manageable? Um, and and that I think we'll just have to find out. So.
because he's clearly not a manager. Well, exactly. Time. And, and you know, just the idea of it's not a matter of, of the White House staff lacks discipline. And you can maybe make some arguments that, yes, there, there should have been uh, more discipline there. But it's that the president himself lacks discipline. And uh, we didn't schedule this as one of our topics to talk about. But just as an example, the, the idea of uh, we're going to ban uh, transgendered soldiers in the military uh, which is a policy announced by tweet one morning uh, with, without <laughs> constant consultation with the media or anyone, and regardless of what you well, think about the merits of that policy. Order. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just a, a, you know, I, I can't imagine uh, the joint chief of staffs, uh, joint chiefs kind of wake up and, you know, sort of, sort of see this over their morning coffee. Uh, well, I mean, and we did, we saw their response a little bit because the official response is, "This isn't policy. We're right. not going to make it policy until it goes through the proper channel." Right. This isn't how you do it. You don't just issue an order by tweet. Um. So with with that, I mean, it really you know raises the question. I mean, what what can anyone do with that other than just taking his phone away? Um. Uh, but. Uh, so, so well, you know, that's, but that's an interesting point, Jay, because I think one of the things that, uh, and maybe, maybe we different, I've said different opinions. I kind of, I get the feeling, and again, I'm not a, a Trump supporter, so maybe I'm being too hard on him. I get the feeling that Trump kind of thought if you put something on social media, that that's the same thing as sending an order. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I to me, it would be hard to believe that. He would be that naive, um, but but maybe he is. I I, I just don't know. And and again, um, these are some questions we might hit on uh, in our our bonus show um, later yes, on we got today. Some fun but, bonus uh, show things coming up. But um, yeah. Uh, but what we should kind of move to as we kind of uh, come to our last story today, um, the Senate this week actually passed a Russian sanctions bill. Right. So you were uh, looking for bipartisanship. There you go. There we go. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Uh, as a matter of fact, that did cross aisles um, for their meddling in the 2016 elections. Uh, good point. Uh, so the White House signal has signaled that it will sign the bill. All that hasn't happened yet. Um, although earlier in the week, it was still kind of debating the question because there's lots of questions about how they want to handle Russia. Sure. Um, and but the Russians have, have uh, uh, said responded. they're withdrawing uh, a number of of uh, diplomatic uh, personnel from the U.S. in in retaliation and sort of preemptory retaliation for the the president signing. And more than that, as a matter of fact, they've also already um, seized two American diplomatic properties and ordered that the U.S. embassy reduce its staff. And this is all going to happen by September. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they were not wasting any time on this front. Um, the uh, Russian foreign ministry said in a statement that quote this yet again attests to the. Ex- Extreme aggressiveness of the United States when it comes to international affairs, end quote. So what do you think about this, Jay? Because there's kind of two there's two sides to this story, in my opinion. We got the international, I think, kind of the more I don't want to say the real political question, but I think the more pressing political international question about Russian relations, Russian relations in the world. But we also have this continuing ongoing domestic story, uh, because as long as Russia is in the news, that's kind of bad news for Trump, no matter what, because of what's happened in the 2016 election and kind of well, his yes, yes and no. Uh, you know, I, I think to some extent um, this plays a little bit to Trump's favor uh, in that, look, if Vladimir Putin was was seeking to get an advantage from a, a Trump presidency or or some a sort of pro-Russian policies out of a Trump uh, presidency, 
that's not working out so great so far. Um, uh, you know, so I, I think it's, you're right. Just the, the mention of the word Russia, uh, probably hurts, hurts Trump. Um, but it, it makes those charges a little bit tougher to stick. Oh, we colluded for what? Well, then we stuck it to Russia and I, I don't know. I'm, um, but I mean, doesn't in some ways this feel like it's the Senate forcing Trump's hand? I mean, this isn't as if Trump has been pushing Correct. for sanction on Russia. I mean, really, this is kind of r- Trump maybe begrudgingly signing this yeah, bill. Yeah, and, and if you know, Mike and I had talked um, a couple months back. You know, there's there's the thing of is this, you know, an example of the legislature, this type of thing, uh, the legislature getting too involved in foreign policy, which is traditionally the realm of the executive. Um, and I don't know. I, I I don't I don't think so. Uh, and and I, I'm sort of an old I'm an old cold warrior uh, sort of guy. So <laughs> so I'm I'm always okay with sanctioning the Russians. Um, you know, it's, um, again I I grew up in sort of a, a different era um, than uh, than you did. But uh, yeah, Mike and I certainly remember when uh, you know there was real palpable fear that, you know, not just the Russians were going to interfere in our elections, but they would incinerate our entire country. Um, Mm -hmm. So, no, I'm, I'm always, uh, uh, I I think sanctions are, are, are fine. And uh, it's, it's one of these sanctions leads to, you know, further discussion down the road. Uh, And I think, of course, the Russians are going to, to make their noises and rattle their sabers and, and, you know, you do the diplomatic tit for tat. Um, but uh, no, I I think it's it's a strong message to send, and I think it's the right message uh, to send. Uh, and I, I I anticipate that that Trump will uh, will sign the legislation. Yeah, it would be it would be suicidal. In yeah, my no, opinion, I, I should take that back. It. I think I think you're probably closer to it. Yeah, it, it's not just will he likely sign it. It would be it would be suicidal not to sign it given the climate. Well, yeah, because, I mean, at that point, it would be nearly impossible to combat any charges that you that you weren't colluding because at that point, what you're basically saying is, look, I had nothing to do with this except for the fact that I'm not going to sign. Right. And the Congress, <laughs> no, well, of you're, you're uh, controlled by your party, passed this this on to you and, and you didn't do it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you will. And then there's going to be talk later as, as far as uh, ironing out some of that. But uh, it's. This is just another thing, and and uh, that that uh, Trump has sort of pulled us into, and and really um, removes his effectiveness, uh, uh, because because now it's sort of he can't uh, you can't have that give a little get a little give a little bit with with the Russians. Um, uh, he's he's sort of forced, and and Congress has been forced into a more. I think bellicose maybe is overstating it, uh, but but more adversarial uh, posture yes. towards towards Russia. And again, I'm I'm someone who supports adversarial postures towards Russia, uh, <laughs> but I also support having the widest range of options uh, open to uh, to our government and dealing with them. Well, I think it's clear that Russia it is attempting to set up an adversarial relation. I mean, you talk sure. about that kind of that Cold War era mindset. And I, I mean, in many ways, all that I can kind of deduce about the Putin philosophy, because, again, when you're talking about Russia, you're talking about Putin, um, is that he is setting this up purposefully. Right. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. You, you don't you don't poke at somebody and broadcast that you poked at that person unless you're hoping <laughs> you know, to get that guy angry at you. Sure. Um, and I think that's kind of what's happening here. 
Uh, and so it, it builds it, it gives it gives Putin strength uh, domestically. You know, precisely. being able to point to a a large foreign adversary who he will play up to be a uh, uh, you know encroaching on their territory. And, and again, if, if you're the Russians, there is there is a sense, and uh, if you step outside of of the you know the sort of the box we live in, uh, the the sense that the West has in the last decade, two decades, encroached upon what had been typically Russia or Russian lands, part of the USSR and so forth, or into the Russian sphere of influence. And and you know Putin has made no no bones about his goal was to sort of recreate that that sphere of influence. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's 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 interesting because, you know, it wasn't that many election cycles ago that it was Mitt Romney who was arguing that the thing we need to be thinking about is Russia. And I'll admit I was one of the people who who laughed along with everybody else and said, nah. but, um, you know, as yeah, I was, forward, I, I was damn right. Go tell him that. I've got to give it's not often that I'm going to give Mitt Romney credit for much, but I've got to give him credit for that one. Um, he was uh, precisely right about that situation, and I think this is going to be something that we'll talk about that continues to be an international situation that transcends just the Trump era, although I think it's particularly acute during the Trump era because of what happened during the 2016 election. Well, Jay, I think that maybe we should talk a little bit about what we're reading. I know that both of us are kind of at at weird points during the year, right? So as as a professor, you know, I'm kind of on uh, vacation, and so I'm actually, you know, not at home right now. So I'm running off all over the world with with children all over the country. Um, trust me, you don't want to be in the car that long. Uh, <laughs> well, but I'll, I'll go. I'll go first is, then. Is I'll, go, I'll go been, first, and and I'll I will. Guys, okay, please. Yeah, you know, usually um, when Mike and I do the the what we're reading, we try to come up with something that is sort of bigger view, longer view uh, than just the news of the day. Um, but uh, there were there was sort of so much going on that there wasn't wasn't that much out there I don't think this week just because there was so much news happening. So I'm going to point to a, a Kimberly Strassel piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, on Thursday, which if you're into uh, spy stories, uh, if you're into um, uh, the whole, again the Russian intrigue, um, it, it's really a must read and just interesting. Uh, I think there were people on the left who will sort of dismiss it as as overly conspiratorial. Uh, but but I would say no more conspiratorial than the idea that, that Trump colluded. And and her thesis, uh, uh, what what she talks about is uh, the the curious uh, case of the uh, gentleman who created the Trump dossier uh, and who was uh, who paid him um, and points that does this relate to the uh, behind closed doors testimony now of uh, Paul Manafort? Uh, and uh, uh, some of the other uh, uh, Trump uh, campaign folks. Um, there were going to be hearings on this, uh, but she, again, writes that there was concern that uh, if uh, this guy who created the dossier were called, uh, it's called a Fusion uh, uh, is the name of the company, um, and there was a question of who were they hired by, if they were hired by the uh, the DNC, well, that could be embarrassing, uh, and uh, therefore let's let's not have the full hearings. Um, and it also points to maybe what are, are, are Putin's motivations, uh, and this is what I've always believed, less to elect Trump uh, and more just to throw some chaos into into the West. 
to the extent that uh, he sought to just create chaos, he's certainly done it. Uh, she points out that some of the the uh, claims uh, that were made against Hillary Clinton were, in fact, and have been shown to be Russian plants. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't actually uh, true, but that prompted uh, you know Comey's further investigation. And again, just a, a general. Um, degrading of uh, our, our faith in our, our democratic institutions. So you can you can believe it or not, uh, but it's it's interesting reading, um, and we'll have that up uh, on the uh, uh, the website and uh, Facebook uh, later on. Yeah, uh, thank you, Jay. Uh, for me, I, what I was going to say was I'm going to actually point to uh, another game that I have been uh, played, uh, replaying. It's okay. called uh, This War of Mine. Um, I don't know if you are you uh, do you play games, Jay? Well, I, you know, I used to back back in the day. Um, back in the day, <laughs> but, when it was still was it, okay. So um, this one like is strategy actually, game, right? You're talking, yeah. Yes, I my uh, father and I loved playing uh, strategy board games from Avalon Hill. Um, he has all the ones you can imagine. But now this this one that I'm going to kind of recommend uh, that I've been doing. Um, it's available for every platform that includes your phone because I know everybody's got that. Um, it's called This War of Mine, and what's really fascinating about this is is that it never plays through the same way. Okay. Um, and it actually is from the point of view of a civilian in a war zone. Um, I think for most of our listeners who are going to take this on that you're probably going to be thinking, um, you know, Syria uh, or – anyway, but it, it's – it's neutral in that sense. There's no particular location. It's it's uh, left unsaid. Um, but it's really fascinating because I think a lot of times when we kind of think and see through these stories, we're always doing it from the point of view of the military. We're always doing it from the point of view of the major actors. And so this takes place from the point of view of civilians and what it takes to kind of live on a day-to-day level. Um, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a very fascinating take. It will take you some time, but I think it's worth playing. It's worth kind of viewing from a different angle conflict Um, and, you know, kind of finishing today on Russia. I think it's a a worthy, I'm going to call it a a reading playthrough. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's interesting. That's the first time we've had a, uh, yeah, game as a, what are you reading? But no, that's, that's interesting. Um, So anyway, well, thank you uh, for, uh, uh, for uh, listening to us uh, uh, one more week. We'd like to thank all our regular listeners, all the folks who support us on PayPal and Patreon. And we especially want to thank our sponsors this week, uh, Brooklinen, uh, where you can get uh, $20 off and free shipping if you use the promo code Brooklinen, uh, TPG at brooklinen.com. And our other sponsor, Casper, uh, if you go to casper.com, politics guys. Uh, again, you can get $50 off uh, your order uh, there. And and again, in light of this week's uh, events, I think those are those are two fantastic sponsors uh, for everyone uh, who needs to get a little bit of rest uh, after this week. Uh, Politics Guys will be back next week uh, with our usual lineup. Uh, we hope you have a great week. <laughs>